Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to the special edition of Mind Podcast. We are recording literally on the road, and I am very pleased to have with us in Houston from India, uh, veteran Major G D Bakshi, who is Major General G D Bakshi. He is uh, as if you guys have been living under a rock. You probably don't. Know, you haven't followed his work, but if you have been around uh, alive for the last five years and watching TV, you must have seen him give his excellent take on the military, strategic affairs, foreign affairs. on various news channels he is an uh, army veteran who served in in various parts in uh, has taken part in many a combat has will regale us with many stories if you if you attend his lecture uh, but he also edits the indian military review and uh, is here talking about uh, different uh, different uh, parts different aspects of strategic affairs in one talk and then he has another talk about his book about uh, the saraswati civilization so uh, please to have you on mind podcast general bakshi god bless you god bless you thank you for having me uh you know where you are going yeah depends a lot on where you came from right you know identity issues of identity are getting critical in this day and age mm-hmm. people want to know who they are right who exactly they are what are their roots where do they go from especially when you come to the diaspora mm-hmm. you know they hunger for the roots is so evident right you know the way they yearn for the mother country the motherland mm-hmm. they cradle where they came from you know it's far more intense than you can find back Absolutely. where people take it for granted and therefore i say to the mainland people back uh-huh. home in india that you have a lot to learn from your diaspora yeah. at least their sense of patriotism their sense of belonging mm. is so intense so acute and you actually need to learn the other way yeah. so before we get into the uh, the past as i may say about the book yeah. i have to talk a little bit about the future yeah. and it connects with your past because you were in jammu and kashmir and when we have you here we cannot let you go without a brief discussion on article 370 absolutely and strategically is one part of it but personally you have seen jammu and kashmir under 370 and now that it's going and i mean obviously it's not going to change in two months or some this is a we didn't get here in two months so we are not going to clear the log jam in two years it's seven decades worth of stuff so how do you view this move what do you think this will happen in the near future i i think it is a brilliant move uh, mm-hmm. just by the way i was born in jammu Oh, you were. I wow. am. Uh, I am. Uh, you know, a so-called. So you have more personal connect than what I alluded yeah, right. to. <laughs> so I was born in Jammu. I was brought up in Udaipur, and then, of course, I've served the bulk of my military life hmm. in Jammu and Kashmir, which is, which is, you know, your uh, our main combat arena. Main battle test laboratory, right? Uh, just like Vietnam was used as a test laboratory, so we we also have it that way. 370 is a brilliant move. Mm-hmm. It is a proactive piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. It anticipates the future. Right. You know, it fights in the future. Right. You know, it doesn't fight in a reactive manner. You let things happen. Mm-hmm. You let the shit hit the fan, and then you start reacting to it. Right. right. So we. are all aware mm-hmm. that Donald Trump wants to get the American troops out of the out of Afghanistan right right and that's he wants to do it before his term comes to an end mm-hmm. so that he can fulfill an electoral promise right. we understand that and im mr im the dim came here no, smacking his lips 
Magic. And in the light of it, let me put it on the record uh, that when Imran Khan Sahab came here, uh, you know, he travelled in a metro, uh, which is a reflection of the state, the <laughs> dire straits the Pakistani economy is in. Uh, I'm just a two-star general and I'm a retired general at that. Uh, and when I came here, thanks to the Indian diaspora, thanks to Bimal Bhai Sahab, I'm travelling in a limousine. Absolutely. So that shows the difference between India and Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it on the record. <laughs> record for all. Yeah. What he, you know, likes to hmm. live with it or lump it. That's his choice, uh -huh. Pakistani choice. But the fact of the matter is, it's a proactive piece of legislation that anticipates a future hmm. in which the American troops have pulled out of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. The Taliban is now free right. and out of job mm -hmm. and looking for new arenas and battles to right. Because unfortunately, there is a set of people who will not live at peace mm -hmm. with themselves and they will not let the world live at peace. Yeah. Pakistan is a neighbor with whom the Afghans are sick and tired. Right. I mean, they have, no other country has suffered more because of a neighbor than the poor people. And, and between them, you have Baluchistan. And the Baluchis, <laughs> the struggle of the Baluchis too. The, uh, the, the, the Baluchis, you know, I mean, they are sick and tired right. of Pakistan. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And so are the people of Iran. Yeah. So are the people of Sri Lanka. Yeah. Who just had the bombing, so called from the ISIS. Yeah. But it is the ISI. ISI. Which is one shot of the S, but which is behind <laughs> yeah. the ISIS. You know, because they want deniability. But my, my, my friend uh, Sunanda, who's a, who has wrote as a columnist, that the first example of the Islamic State was Pakistan. It was the first it's country. The first Islamic State to Islamite. Yeah. That happened under Ziaul Haq. Right. So, and, and it was created on basis of a religion, and Ziaul Haq just took it to another level. To another level. And he, you know, uh, most. Uh, he brought it closer to a theocratic state than any other state. There is actually, you know, there is a local place here in Houston, a Pakistani place, where they have pictures of the Pakistani prime ministers and presidents. And I took my friends there and I'm like, look at the, and they write it in years, right? So you have gaps of 10 years, 5 years, 6 years. And, and she's like, what is this? I was like, that is when they turned from democracies to a military relationship. And now they're an alleged democracy. See, uh, 30 years of their life as a corporate entity. They have been ruled by the military directly. Right. And for the balance 40 years, they have been ruled indirectly. Indirectly. From behind the stages. So, you know, it is uh, the three A's that govern uh, Pakistan, the army, Allah and America. Not necessarily in that order. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily. That depends order. on who is in, who, who, who is at GHQ. <laughs> at GHQ. So yeah. The fact of the matter is, hmm. Other countries have an army. Mm. In Pakistan, you have an army that owns the state. Absolutely. You know, that yeah. is the problem. With that this is country. the And uh, John Kennedy, uh, sorry, not John Kennedy, it is, uh, it is, uh, 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 the name will just come back to yeah. Paul Kennedy, Paul Ke uh, who wrote that book, The Rise and Fall of the Great Power. That's right. Right. And Paul Kennedy is one of the most perceptive. You know, analysts that yeah. I've come across in my study, long time, lifetime of study. And he said, all over-militarized states mm. tend to suffer from imperial overstretch mm. and economic overstretch and which leads to collapse. It yeah. happened to Austria-Hungary, it happened to Germany, it happened to Japan, 
And now it's happening to Pakistan. And I believe, I think Steve Cole also alludes to that in his book, The Ghost Wars, that, you know, what is the next step? But but so it's coming back a little bit to Jammu and Kashmir, the domestic part of it. Uh, no question. I mean, you know, uh, people were scaremongering that, oh, what will happen if 370 will go? Like, will the parliament pass it? In the end, it passed by two-third majority. So clearly, if you have, if you had a political will going behind it, everyone was going to fall in line. That's right. So, um... So, moving forward, do you think in terms of the challenges for the Indian military, because that's what I want to really ask you about, because you've served there and, you know, we can all celebrate and stuff, but in when I went to sleep that night, because it was like we were up four in the night watching the parliament proceedings, I was like, spare a thought for the boys who are out there, who have been there guarding and right now maybe the next one month might be peaceful the month after is going to be the bigger challenge as the curfew and the restrictions slowly go so what would you say about that look uh, i have said one thing all my life as mm. a man who was involved in counter insurgency counter terrorist mm. operation i have some of the most extensive experience in the indian army mm. can boast off and we can boast off hell of a lot mm. but uh, you see i have been saying God is always on the side of the big battalions. We have no dearth of manpower. I have dealt with the Punjab at the level of the Army Headquarters Directorate General of Military Operations. I dealt with Jammu and Kashmir. On the ground I fought and I controlled at the Apex Headquarter that controls and plans and strategizes for Jammu and Kashmir. It is the military, the Directorate General of Military Operations, DGMO. Short. I've served both in both these places and I want to tell you that we super saturated Punjab with troops and we broke the bank. It was history thereafter. Yes. I have been advocating for God knows how much time. Please super saturate that area with troops. Are you short of troops? No, sir. You have 1.3 million strong army. You have 1.3 million strong central police forces. Yeah. The, the BSF, the ITBP, CRPF. CRPF, and God knows what I have you. There is a whole yeah. alphabet soup out there. <laughs> you know, Indeed. For, you have 2.6 million men in arms. Yeah. Are you short of troops? You aren't. Super saturate that area with troops and force the rule of law. The problem was when you anoint Mehbooba Mufti a field marshal and you let her decide how many troops should be where. That woman has created mayhem. Yeah, yeah. You see, she went to South Kashmir. Why are the troops here? Huh? Why should they be here? Their job is the border. Are you trying to tell us how to deploy our troops? Yeah. I mean, what uh, military and what, experience does I mean, have? in Anantanag and Thral, the situation had become so dire. Look, that is exactly what I'm saying. She got our troops out of that area, for God's sake. Yeah. This woman succeeded in the last tenure of the BJP yeah. because they had that agreement with them and yeah. they got so devoted to that agreement it became an end in itself uh-huh. and you know they let Mahbuba Mufti run amok yeah. and this woman got the forces, the army out of South Kashmir and what happened in South Kashmir? Burhan Mani what happened in South Kashmir? Uh, uh, you know that Zakir Musa yeah. and, the, and the Caliphate 
and what happened in south kashmir pulwam yeah and, and you cannot win wars with a demoralized force if you do not hard get your force kicked yeah absolutely this is what they, she got she succeeded in doing yeah i mean this is this is abominable yeah, yeah, yeah. this is astounding i have not seen it happen anywhere else. oh absolutely there i darustai huh? i got that government was kicked out and a lot of it i think we can a very modestly can claim a bit of the credit yeah. the, the old soldiers raised able and kale yeah. kale and able to sort of get to see no that, that's my thing right we we always wait for the soldiers to guide the path even if they are on the battlefield or outside or, or, or of it outside of it because <laughs> so, you have because you can't watch your country you know be ruined like yeah. this by a bunch of uh you know separatists like mahbooba mufti yeah. thank god she has got yeah, my my friend up. actually has a wonderful term for kashmir a kashmiri friend that uh, kashmiri politicians sound uh, mildly pro separatist when in government and definitely separatist when in opposition <laughs> the, the reality densely separatist when in opposition <laughs> yeah but but i have to ask you this um, uh, one question about your book absolutely the saraswati civilization you know basically you you embraced a multidisciplinary approach right yeah. to write the glory of the river saraswati and you know it's quite essential role in harnessing the indian civilization uh, according to you um, what attempts you know need to be made by other organizations to unravel this uh, what is the path forward because you've laid sort of a path to it that's like i said this is a basic question of identity Mm. Why is India called India? You know, because when the Greeks came there, mm. the Saraswati River had dried by 2000 BC. Right. It desiccated and vanished mm. from the face of the earth. So they only found the Indus. Mm-hmm. And they said they named it Indica, and from Indica it became India. Yeah. Right. When the Arabs came in the seventh century, they only found the Sindhu, mm. and they couldn't pronounce the S, so it became Hindu. Yeah. And from Hindu, it became Hindustan. Hindustan. But you got the wrong river. Right. You got the name of the country wrong, sir. Mm. I. 60% of the Indus Valley side, so-called, hmm. are not on the track of the Indus River. Hmm. They are on the dried-out track of the Saraswati, as picked out by the American Landsat satellite, and now by the ISRO satellites. A whole series of them. So, and, and that also can serve as a response to all those people who call Saraswati a Vedic Hindu myth. A Vedic Hindu myth, sir. You need to wake up. Yeah. And, I, and look at reality. Smell the coffee or whatever smell you like the in the morning. Whatever you like, <laughs> but. You are out of date. Yeah. You are grossly out of date. Hmm. There is carbon dating that has been done of the Harappan civilization, mm-hmm. which is now the Saraswati Valley civilization. Yeah. Because 60 to 80 percent of the sites of the Harappan civilization are on the banks of the Saraswati River. So it is the Saraswati civilization, and the 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 kingdom there was Bharat. Yeah. And Bharat Varsha comes from there, which is the real. Absolutely. So you got to get your identity, you know, correct. Yeah, absolutely. And so you are, sir, doing an event here in Houston as well yes. about this event uh, being organized in uh, in our local temple, the VPSS temple. So, um, you know, what has your experience been interacting with people there and now in the Indian diaspora about your book and about your strategic affairs? Uh, you see, the one of the first thing that I, I I would like to place on record is the enthusiasm yeah. of the diaspora, and very few people know. that uh, you know the 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 yeah the enthusiasm of the diaspora uh-huh. very few people really know 
that our diaspora has contributed massively mm. to India being free. Yeah. In the first world war, it was the American Canadian diaspora that started the Kadar movement yeah. to free India. They right. failed, but in the second world war, it was the Southeast Asian diaspora that contributed to the INA and the Azad in Fauj of Nijadi, Subhash Chandra Bose, made material gold rupees. Yes, right? absolutely. It is because of them that India is free. So the diaspora has a major role and especially the Chinese diaspora may played a significant role in the rise of the Chinese economy. I'm very certain the Indian diaspora is going to play as major a role in the rise of India from a two trillion to a five trillion dollar economy. The rest we will take inside. Lovely, absolutely. Well, thank you guys and I would recommend please read General Bakshi's book. Thank you. On thank you indeed. Thank you. <laughs> For all those who have stayed with us, which I know every one of you have <laughs> in part two, welcome back. Uh, General Bakshi is uh, still with us in part two. We are going to talk a little bit more about Article 370 Kashmir right. and the military strategic impact of this move. Right. So, uh, General Bakshi, um, uh, first of all, thank you for your time for this. It's, 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 it's been a fascinating thank discussion. Thank you for having me. Okay. It's been a fascinating discussion. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the strategic impact now. Right. We've, we've talked about the geopolitical impact with you know what an impending Pakistan Afghanistan situation where it leads us to mm -hmm. but the strategic impact internally in mm -hmm. India because when you talk about uh, let's talk about Ladakh for a second so now you've strategically made Jammu and Kashmir as union territory and Ladakh as a separate union territory the mm -hmm. Ladakhis who are feeling left out in the development where sort of the funds were only going to Kashmir and you know they were being um, uh, uh, they were not getting the pie slice of the pie how do you view this move of separating I, I, I think it was long overdue it was it was you know it was really really a long overdue move and the simple fact is that Kashmir had started treating Jammu and Ladakh and Kargil as a colony they had virtually colonized the area they had misappropriated the entire largesse of about 2 lakh crore rupees that had been pumped in by the central government into that area. It had all lined the pockets of a few dynasties in Kashmir and which had enriched themselves at the cost of the poor people. And they were towards the end trying to support Pakistan. That is the pity. These people, they bled the Indian state dry, they milked it dry of funds and then they had the gall to turn separatist. And they, like I said, were mistreating the people of Ladakh, not letting any amount go down to them. And can you imagine that the Rohingyas, who are famed the world over for being drug runners, you know, uh, drug peddlers, arms runners, traffic, human traffickers, these people were of course uh, thrown out of uh, Myanmar by the Yunta there, but they have been given uh, asylum, you know where? In Ladakh. Yeah. So that they, 7,000 of them were settled in Ladakh, where Indian citizens cannot go, till recently could not go yeah. and buy land or settle down. Rohingyas were settled there. Rohingyas were settled in Jammu, next to the military camp, so that they would facilitate the recce of military targets. And after the Rohingyas settled there, our military targets started getting attacked. Do you let a state government get away with such arrant nonsense? The fact of the matter is, there were 568 princely states. All the rulers signed the instrument of accession, which was legal tender for merger of their state into India. Why was Kashmir any different? 
The ruler had signed the instrument of accession. It was only Lord Mountbatten who insisted on the ifs and buts. And it is because of him that Nehru went in for the talk of plebiscite. And now even the United Nations is not talking of plebiscite because one of the first conditions placed in 48 for a plebiscite was that Pakistani army had to withdraw from POK. They haven't done it till date. What business has anybody got to do to talk of plebiscite? It is as dead as a dodo. And then we have the irony of Pakistan calling their, the Kashmir where they have occupied as Azad Kashmir. As Azad Kashmir, whereas you know the most restive population is there. They have changed the demography of their place by settling Pakistani Punjabi Muslims there. The whole demography of POK has been subverted. You know, they, and uh, there the governor sits in Islamabad, and uh, you know Gilgit Baltistan, which and was Shias. I think made uh, a speech in the POK assembly or something where he made this bizarre, bizarre sort of uh, utterance where he looked sounded incoherent. So my sort of this is on the lighter way was that Prime Minister Narendra Modi in the red fort talk spent an hour talking about India. Imran Khan there also spent an hour talking about India. About India, that, you see, this is a country that defines itself as not India <laughs> you know because they have no other identity yeah, yeah. they don't know what to relate to whether to relate to the Middle East or to South Asia they are I mean they are a state in a total uh, identity crisis yeah. and all that they can define themselves is in terms of not India not India not it's that famous Neti Neti syndrome but you see to come back to the uh, the theme you see the fact of the matter is that uh, when uh, Sheikh Abdullah had a personal equation with Nehru, right? Both of them had taken part in this agitation against the Maharaja. And when Nehru had gone to the help of Sheikh Abdullah, the Maharaja had jailed them both. Yeah. Both held a vicious animus against Maharaja Hari Singh. And the first opportunity that Abdullah got, he took revenge through Nehru. He got himself anointed the Prime Minister of the state of yeah. Jammu and Kashmir, so-called. And then he had uh, Maharaja Hari Singh exiled, yeah. right? It's one of the most tragic uh, chapters of that place where the Jammu Dogras now have no say. Those who made, created the state of yeah. Jammu and Kashmir by military conquest, by their, you know, by their expeditions and forays, they had annexed that territory and they had established the state of Jammu and Kashmir. Today, they are marginalized in their own state and the sheikhs had really become the uh, made it into a, uh, a, a, a into a caliphate of yeah. sorts so the fact of the matter is that uh, sheikh abdullah because of his closeness proximity to nehru mm -hmm. uh, went to him in 1949 when the constituent assembly debates were taking place and you must listen to this history because yes. i would like the people to know about Absolutely. you see when the constituent assembly debates were taking place he went to nehru mm -hmm. and he wanted cast iron guarantees on autonomy on the line suggested by Lord Louis Mountbatten because this overtly ambitious man was thinking of an independent Switzerland kind of a state where he would keep India and Pakistan at bay and rule like a Sultan you see the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, that uh, Nehru sent him to uh, Dr. Bhimrao Ambedkar the framer of India's constitution to frame and ask and take his help to frame uh, Article 370 like uh, statuette to put on the book to uh, so-called uh, you know uh, give iron caste guarantees on autonomy which were not required. Dr. Ambedkar very patiently heard out Sheikh Abdullah 
as he talked of this economy uh, autonomy and what he wanted the indian state to be shown its place and kept out mm. he listened to him and then he said he says you want the citizens of india to build your roads your bridges your hospitals your schools right and in return you want them to have no rights to buy property there to settle down there to live there this my dear man is treachery and i as the law minister of india will not do it please leave my office he threw him out of his office and what does sheikh abdullah do he goes crying back to nehru and nehru tells him okay if he won't do it go to gopal swami ayangar i'll tell him i'll tell him i'll put in a word for you and gopal swami ayangar comes out with this ridiculous article 306a which later became 370 under which you know the state the writ of the union was confined to defense foreign affairs currency and communications four topics that's all Mm-hmm. and the state was to have a separate constitution even then i think it's alleged that nehru actually took off to london for a commonwealth meet or something which uh, dr swami very funnily says that he was going to meet someone else but yeah, we, 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 going to the uh, dr subramaniam swami is also quoted as asking people who was the first prime minister of india and when when the public said nehru he says wrong it was edwina mount batten to people <laughs> but no, and then after that, of course, you had the Section 35A, which uh, ironically that's what people thought was going. But then uh, Prime Minister Modi and Home Minister Amit Shah went for the jugular, which thank God they did because you know might as well if you are going for. You see, you see, 35A was something brought in by the back door by a presidential ordinance. It yeah. did not face the test of Parliament. It required two thirds majority to put in yeah. an amendment like this. It was not done. It was done by the back door and uh, uh, to perpetuate and you know. But no. But but then I just want yes. to, if if I if I could yes. just finish. Uh-huh. You see that uh, Dr. Bhim Rao Ambedkar. You know, one of his last acts of patriotism right. was when he saw this statuette which had been done. He put it in Section Twenty One A, which is the temporary, you know, transient yes. and uh, special yes. provisions yes. of the Constitution, yes. and which we were able to now use to our legal advantage to throw this pernicious piece of legislation out of the window where it belonged. Yeah. Right? It's thanks to the far-sightedness. It is a temporary provision. and these kashmiri politicians are telling us it is cast in iron it uh, for you know for uh, till the next 2 3 4 1000 years mm-hmm. now we are going to have this i'm sorry mm-hmm. it is a transient provision temporary provision which has rightly been removed Absolutely. it was by the order of the president brought in it can be taken out by the pleasure mm-hmm. of the president of india that's why i say so by and this 372 went uh, with two third majority the parliament so when these people say that oh you know presidential orders the kaise aa sakta hai all that i'm like did you uh, i mean are you objecting to how it came in the first place in 1954 mm-hmm. you were okay with that no, you're that, okay with that uh, that, suits that came with a presidential order yeah. that was fine but uh, now it's come with a thumping two thirds majority of the parliament legally it's cast iron and you see the beauty of the legislation i i want to dwell a little yeah. 370 has not been removed only article 2 and 2 b and 2 c have been removed 1a still stands 1a still stands but when you take out 2 and 3 you see you automatically do away every act of the indian constitution now becomes applicable to the state of jammu and kashmir now you cannot 
you know discriminate against the scheduled caste people who were taken the to the valmikis uh, who were taken to shrinagar when there was a plague there yeah. they to clean up that place and they were told that you can only job that you will do yes. is scavenging yeah. you cannot become engineers doctors anything else your children uh, you know i mean we've not heard of this and misogynist that if a woman marries outside the state all uh, away go uh, yeah. rights and then we, we we have to wrap up in a bit because i know you have to get you're getting late to an event but before before i wrap up you know actually i, plugged, I tweeted a clip in two, from 2013 when farooq abdullah came to his favorite tv channel um, something that looks sounds like entity i'm kidding you know but anyways he was being interviewed by barkhadat yeah uh, again who's not really antagonistic towards the abdullahs so and this is what and she that's asked, putting it mildly hypocrisy is the worst sin yeah all these people talk of human rights are the pundits not human 450000 of them you can do genocide you can do ethnic cleansing and get away with it scot free mm. you know it's about time that the indian state called this hypocrisy yeah. the same thing has been done in yugoslavia and slobodan milosevic almost had to face the gallows yeah he is still in prison he is still not out mm. why should these people not be behind the bars ziaul haq you know people like him who ordered the ethnic cleansing in jammu and kashmir the director general isi who ordered this ethnic cleansing and the people who carried it out who are now posing around as the warrior and as the government in waiting in jammu and kashmir because rabin rafael said so mm. i'm afraid no absolutely i'm afraid no so, so, so in closure general makshi i think we can say that this is a new this is almost a new resurgent independent india that's right it happened 10 days the baggage of history is being shed yes the baggage of empire is history <laughs> <laughs> indeed and if to you know to put your book in perspective if we do want to rewrite the history of indian civilization or write another chapter i think we are at you see we we attacked indian history from two ends yeah. one was the freedom struggle right. where we debated the comparative contributions of mahatma gandhi and subhash chandra bose to antithetical viewpoints on how we should go for freedom he wanted to use force because he knew there was no other way the british would lead and uh, mahatma gandhi uh, apostle of non violence he was sincere in his beliefs yeah. but you know actually the british used him they they did not want another 1857 and if there is a gandhi helping them to keep india peaceful would they object yeah. they would they made a big media icon out of him mm-hmm. and they promoted him in the colonies in africa this is the way to fight the british mm-hmm. the only way you will never get free you will never get free south africa nelson mandela followed this model south africa got the freedom in 1994 yeah. right and we would have gotten our freedom in 1994 or not at all yeah. had we stuck to the non violent method thank god 
और नेताजी एंड दी सुभाष चंद्र बोस एंड दी आर्मी इंडियन नेशनल आर्मी वी आर फ्री टुडे एंड वी हैव डन रिसर्च इन द ट्रांसफर ऑफ पावर आर्काइव्स इन लंदन एंड वी हैव सीन दी की decision makers of the era we have gone through their correspondence mm-hmm. and they are all unanimous on one thing they left only and only because of subhash bose and the international army so we have attacked history from that end we have, we have been very happy to see that prime minister modi himself came to the red fort on the 75th anniversary of the establishment yeah. of the government of india in exile by netaji subhash chandra bose in 1943 in singapore that is truly you see the americans separate 4th of july as their independence day because that's not the day the british left that is the day the 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 declaration of independence was made yeah right so therefore it is 21st october which should be celebrated as your independence day because that is the time he declared independence 12 countries of the world recognized the government of india as in, in exile and that included the soviet union apart from germany japan italy and maybe that was enough to convince, to convince nehru but he was not convinced he was not and so we attacked history from the recent end mm. we got four ina veterans on the republic day parade this year one of them was 109 second was 108 third was 99 fourth was 98 and we got them on parade so that the nation would honor those who truly made it free and not a set of pretenders and collaborators and and quislings right now we are attacking history from the ancient indian end to establish just who we are did the aryans come from outside or are they indigenous are they alien indigenous did we have an in migration or an out migration in in closure i want to tell you one thing i think we've been told our history by a lot of people from different western civilization from uh, resident non indian sometimes i would say right. i think it's time we have start we start asking questions you have to own your own history absolutely russian history french history chinese history is not outsourced to harvard or to oxford it is done by them i think it's about time we took charge of our history Absolutely. Well, with that, I would like to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Mr. Bakshi. This has been a pleasure. And you know, uh, now you've made me greedy as a media person, so I want to do this probably again in a few months from now. Most welcome, most welcome, and God bless, God bless the Indian diaspora, God bless India, and Jai Hind. Jai Hind, absolutely.